The Solution Word with Pastor Adama Segbeji. Pastor Adama has a passion to uplift people and see the body of Christ excel. His aim, to bring hope to the hopeless and solution to the nations. In this message, you will learn. Every time you come and you are giving, you must give in anticipation that this gospel will not just stay here. It must go out to reach millions. It must go to reach billions. It must go to reach many more who have not heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does the world fight the church for? Giving. They say, why should church people tithe? They say, tithe is God. What are they doing? It's the same strategy. Because they know that the only way the gospel will be preached is money. The gospel is free, but it moves on the wheels of money. Are you ready for the word? All right, if you are, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jude, verse 3. The book of Jude, verse 3. Now, I could say Jude chapter 1, verse 3, but there's only one chapter of Jude, so it's Jude, verse 3. Are you there? I read, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exalt you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. I want you to underline that word, earnestly contend for the faith. It is which was once delivered unto the saints. And we are blessed by the reading of God's word. Amen. I'm continuing with this message I started last week titled Contending for the Faith and this is part two. Contending for the Faith, this is part two. I want us to understand that our faith is so important that it cost Jesus his life to deliver it unto us. Our faith is so crucial that it cost Jesus his life to deliver our faith unto us. And so therefore, if it cost Jesus his entire life, then that means we have to understand the value of the faith that has been delivered unto us. That's why the Bible says that, beloved, when I gave all diligence, all diligence, in other words, carefully thought, carefully planned, all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. The word common there means the same faith that we share of the common salvation which it, it, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you to earnestly do what? Contend for the faith. Notice he didn't say for your faith. It says for the faith. When he talks about for the faith, he's talking about the gospel. Hallelujah. He's talking about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says so we must contend.
contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So it's important for us to contend for our faith. Amen? Amen. Now, I want you to understand something. This is very important that the only way we can allow the gospel to make an impact or to be impactful in the lives of people around us is to understand three things. Three things. Number one, we need to understand the power of a radiator. Last week, I did emphasize that a radiator radiates what? Heat. So now, when your radiator is not radiating heat, that means there's a problem with it, right? And you look for someone to fix it. Now, if the radiator radiates heat, that means you as a Christian, you must radiate something. You must radiate something. Now, what you must radiate is the love of God to the people around you. We must radiate our faith to the people around us. And when we do that, we influence our environment with what is within us. And what is within us? The gospel. Remember, the Bible says that Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Jesus Christ is in us. Therefore, we have to use what is within us to radiate our environment. So that means everywhere you go, you must be willing to tell people about your faith. You must radiate the gospel. Are you following what I'm saying? Everywhere you are, people must see what is inside of you. When it's cold, you turn the heater on. The moment you get into the dark world, you turn on the light. And remember, the Bible says that you are the light of the world. Number two impact of the gospel is it has to be radical. Radical. The gospel is radical. I want you to understand that Christianity did not become Christianity on silver platter. Last week I was telling you that uh, some of the apostles were, were burned in oil. They were, th- they were boiled in oil. Some of them, their intestines were taken out. Just for them to deny Christ Jesus. Some of them were beheaded. Some of them were crucified upside down. Are you following what I'm saying? So we have to understand that the gospel of Jesus is radical. The radicality of the gospel is that it impacts your environment. It changes every environment. Have you not noticed that everywhere the gospel goes, there is change? Hallelujah. Everywhere the gospel goes, there is what? There is change and transformation. So the gospel has to be what? Radical. Number three, the gospel has to be revolutionary. It has to be revolutionary. It has to be revolutionary. Why? Because it has the ability to transform you and your family. You see, when you claim you are a Christian, people must see the effect of your Christianity. When you say you are a Christian, your family must see it. Amen? I said your family must see it. Your friends must see it. Now, if you're a Christian 
and you are among unbelievers, your family is looking at you and they say, ah, if this is what Christianity is, I don't want to be a Christian. Because they look at you as an example of what Christianity is. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, if you're a Christian and you are among unbelievers, you have friends who are unbelievers, and you behave the same way they behave, how can the gospel be revolutionary? (laughs) And please remember, the moment you declare your faith publicly, you will be entrapped several times. I don't know if I told you about this story. When I used to work in boats, the chemist, there was this guy. I used to fast every Thursday, but nobody knew that I was fasting. When my wife and I were caught in, we chose a Thursday to fast and to pray for our relationship, our marriage, our children, and the future, and so on and so forth. So I used to fast every Thursday. And every Thursday, this guy, it's like he knows I'm fasting. And you know when you're fasting, you're a little bit short-tempered. <laughs> That's like I'm preaching to just myself. Now when you're fasting, your patience is a little bit short-cuted. So on the day I'm fasting, this guy will do everything to upset me. It's like that day he knows I'm fasting. Yet I have not told him I'm fasting. That is the day he'll do everything. And before I realize, I get angry and I break the fast. I said, no, I'm not going to fast anymore. Now, what are they doing? They are trapping you to see what to come out of you as a Christian. They want to see how you behave. Are you following what I'm saying? They want to see what your behavior is. They want to see what you will do when we put you under pressure. So the moment you declare your faith publicly, you will be persecuted. Your friends will persecute you. Your families will persecute you. My father, my own father persecuted me the day I declared my faith. He kicked me out of the house. There was a day he kicked me out of the house and I have to sleep outside and mosquitoes feasted on me because I gave my life to Jesus. So when you give your life to Jesus, you will be persecuted for your faith. But in being persecuted for your faith, it doesn't mean you give up your faith. Are you following what I'm saying? We don't give up our faith. That is not the time to throw in the towel. The fact that they are persecuting you as a matter of fact actually means that you're doing the right thing. Amen. So what does it mean to contend for our faith? To contend means to struggle for, write it down, to fight for, and to defend the cause of what has been given to you. To contend means to struggle for, to fight for, and to defend the cause of what has been given to you. And in this case, it's our faith. That's why the Bible says that we must earnestly contend for the faith that was delivered unto us. Earnest simply means to be sincere and intense. 
To be earnest means to have sincere and earnest and, and, and intense convictions. How intense is your faith? How earnest are you about your faith? Now I'm going to say something this morning that is very, very important. I want you to understand something, church. That in every dispensation, the contention of the gospel has been different. In every dispensation, the contention of the gospel is different. Now, the battles the apostles battled or the persecutions they went through 2,000 years ago is not the same persecutions we are going to go through now. So it's important for us to understand the times. Now, for instance, nations are now preparing against all kinds of attacks. When the enemy wants to attack you now, he doesn't just come with guns and bombs. There is what we now call cyber attacks. Are you following what I'm saying? There are cyber attacks. And you don't react to cyber attack the same way you react to a physical attack. When a cyber attack is coming, you don't know. So you have to make sure you are ready, you are secured against the time of a cyber attack. Are you following what I'm saying? So the gospel has gone through various stages of contention. It has gone through various stages of fight. It has gone through various stages of warfare. And therefore, we need to understand what stage we are in so we can earnestly contend for the gospel. I'll give you an example. When Jesus Christ died, remember before he died, Jesus said, when I died on the third day, I will what? Rise again. And when he said that, everybody heard it. Now, the gospel that we are talking about is the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our faith. Because remember, the Bible says that without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are of all men the most miserable. Now, if you take me to any religious leader, you can see their, their grave where they, were, they, they died and they were buried. And their bones are still there. But Jesus Christ, when he died, he didn't stay in the grave. As a matter of fact, he had a borrowed grave. And what you borrow, you have to give back. Are you following me? So on the third day, he gave back what he borrowed and he rose up triumphantly. Now that was what he said was going to happen. But I want want us to look at something very important in, in, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 11 to 15. I want us to understand how to contend for our faith. That the dispensation has changed And we have to understand what dispensation we are in so that we can contend rationally with wisdom and understanding. Matthew chapter 28 from verse 11. 
The Bible says that now when they were going, this is after Jesus has resurrected. When they were going, behold, some of the watch came. In other words, the watchmen who were watching over his tomb. Some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priest of the things that were done. So they came and they noticed that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. And so look at what happened. They came to the chief priest to tell them of what has happened. Verse 12. The Bible says that, And when they were assembled with the elders, and had taken counsel, I want you to understand that. They had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers. I want you to underline that carefully. They gave large money unto who? Unto the soldiers. What did they give? What did they give? Not just money. They gave large money. I want you to follow me carefully. Why were they giving large money unto the soldiers? Verse 13. Saying, say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while he was what? While he slept. Verse 14. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. I could stay here for a whole year and preach on this scripture. Now, I want you to understand what's happening here. Jesus said he is going to die and on the third day he is going to rise up triumphantly. Now, when he rose up on the third day, the Bible says that the chief priest went. The watchman came to the chief priest and said, what the guy said has actually happened. He is no longer in the tomb. And then they said, now this is the gospel. Because remember, the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Without resurrection, there is no gospel. Without resurrection, there is no faith. So they wanted to stop the resurrection aspect of the gospel. So what they did was they took counsel. They came together and strategized. Don't think that when Christians are being marginalized, it just happens. People have gathered, they have taken counsel. They have gathered in parliament. They have gathered in places of secrecy. They have gathered to take counsel to do what? To prevent the perpetuation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the Bible says that, and when they were assembled with the elders, they are taking counsel and they gave them large money unto the soldiers. Now, we have doctors in this church. We have pharmacists in this church. We have nurses in this church. When a snake bites someone, right? What do you use to cure the person? Anti what? Yeah, no, no, I want another word. Anti what? When, when a snake bites someone, and the venom is gone into the person. What do you use? Anti what? 
Until what? Until what? Good. Now, when a snake bites and releases a venom to kill or to destroy someone, you have to use an anti-venom to reverse the bite. The Bible says when they realized that Jesus was up, they gave large money unto the soldiers. That is a bite. So for us to reverse the life that was perpetuated at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have to now give an anti-venom, which is a larger money to propel the preaching of the gospel. Are you following what I'm saying? That's why your giving is part of the gospel. Every time you come and you are giving, you must give in anticipation that this gospel will not just stay here. It must go out to reach millions. It must go to reach billions. It must go to reach many more who have not heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does the world fight the church for? Giving. They say, why should church people tithe? They say, tithe is God. What are they doing? It's the same strategy. Because they know that the only way the gospel will be preached is money. The gospel is free. But it moves on the wheels of money. That's why we don't charge to preach the gospel. But we come with this understanding. You see, when you understand this, you don't need anybody to coerce you to give. I remember when we started this church. I, my wife and I made a vow. Our vow was that we are going to pay the rent of the church every Sunday. Every Sunday. That was our vow. We were not expecting anybody. Our vow is to make sure that the doors of the church is always open. So every time we come, we make sure we pay our giving is beyond what we are supposed to pay for this place or the place where we are using every Sunday or every weekday. That was a mindset. So when it's time for giving, we have to understand what they did. They gave large money to stop the preaching of the gospel and they are still doing it now. They are still doing it now. They have not stopped. They are still doing it now. They are doing all kinds of things. They are giving large monies. They are having meetings. They are having councils to stop the preaching of the gospel. So we in turn have to be wise. And say, no, I'm not going to allow this gospel to die. I'm going to contend for it. I'm not going to just allow it to die with me. My children must hear of the gospel. My children and children's children must hear of the gospel. So when I come and I'm giving, I'm giving with this understanding. My giving is generational. He said they gave large money to the soldiers. When's the last time you came to church and you gave a large money? As part of the continuing for the gospel. When the enemy gave large money to stop the preaching of the gospel and then we come and we give small money? No. We can't reverse the death. 
if a snake bites you, you can't underdose of the venom, the, the anti-venom. You can't underdose it. You have to give a dose that is higher than what has gone into the person. Right? Doctors, pharmacists, or nurses. Am I right? Or you haven't given someone who has been beating a snake before anti-venom. Are you following what I'm saying? So we need to have this understanding where we are contending for the gospel because the times have changed. It's time for this ministry to go on TV. I said it's time for this ministry to go on TV. All the, excuse my language, all the junk that we hear on TV and see on TV, it's time for the true gospel to go on TV. And for that to happen, we have to take responsibility and start saying, when, I, when it's time for giving, that's why in this church, nobody will put pressure on you to give. Are you following what, you are say, what I'm saying? Even when you give, you give and you forget to redeem your giving, we don't knock on your door and say, uh, <laughs> brother, sister, you made a vow two days ago. Nobody will knock on your door Nobody would knock on your door because we have to understand the purpose of the gospel. Look at verse 13. The purpose of them giving the large money, they say, same. Say that his, gospel, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we, were, we slept. Now see, see the gospel, they are also propagating lies. The gospel of lies. And how are they doing it? With money. We are living in days and age now where there's something called fake news. Fake news is overtaking the real news. People are pushing out news out there and when you read it, you think it's the the truth. So can you see the world we are in? Can you see the world we are in? And, And the sad thing is many Christians just believe everything on face value. You see somebody put out something in a social media platform and Christians will believe it. Without investigation, they will believe it. Even when we come to church and we preach the gospel, we don't go back and investigate whether what the pastor said is true or not. Is it in the Bible or not? We don't do that. The Bible says that, and if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. Can you see the level they are going? So they took their money, so they took their money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. It's time for us to contend for the gospel. It's time for us to contend for our faith. Listen, your lifestyle must be the faith. Wherever people see you, they must see Christ in you. Nobody must come to this church, for example, and sees you in the church and say, what? This person comes to this church? What he did to me or what she did to me, because of them, I cannot come to this church. It should not be so. That means, you see, our lifestyles both in church and outside of church must reflect Jesus Christ. Say a good amen to that. Now quickly as we get ready to close. Last week we did read a scripture from Mark chapter 8. We didn't go into detail today. I want to 
expand on it a little bit. Mark chapter 8 from verse 34 to 38. Are you getting something out of this? Mark chapter 8 verse 34 to 38. I read, the Bible says that, and when he had called the people, this is Jesus unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in glory of his Father with his holy angels. Five things quickly I want us to look at. Number one, qualifications for following Jesus Christ. Write this down. Number one, qualifications for following Jesus Christ. It's in Mark chapter 8 verse 34. It says, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever shall come after me, let him deny what himself or herself and take up his cross and follow me. So what is Jesus saying? What Jesus is talking about is number one, the called ones are to become followers of Jesus. Question, are you a follower of Jesus or a follower of man? Remember what Paul said? Some said we are of Apollo, some say we are of Paul. And Paul said, there's nothing like that. You are not of Apollos or you are not of Paul. Paul plants Apollos waters, God gives the increase. You are not of man. Your faith should not rest in men. If someone who leads you to Christ backslide, will you also backslide? We are followers of Jesus Christ, not followers of men. Number two. They listen and follow the teachings of Jesus. Who do you listen to? Who do you follow? Qualifications for following Jesus Christ. Number two, they listen and follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Number three, they deny themselves and follow the will of Jesus Christ completely. Say amen to that. They deny themselves and follow the will of Jesus Christ completely. Number four, they take up the cross and follow Jesus for life. <laughs> when we talk about the cross in the church, many people don't want to hear it. Do you know what it means to take up the cross? It means to die daily. That's what Paul said. Paul said, I die daily. It's time for us to take up the cross. Taking up the cross means sacrificing. The second thing, how to gain in life? How do we gain in life? It's in verse 35 of Mark chapter 8. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. How many of you are trying to save your life? 
It says, for whosoever shall save his life shall what? Lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall what? Save it. Four things out of that also quickly. Number one, you will lose your life if you try to save it. That's what Jesus is saying. You will lose your life if you try to save it. Number two, you must die daily for the gospel. Die how many days? Daily. Daily. Paul said, I die what? Daily. Daily. You must die daily for the gospel. Number three, you must be willing to lose for the sake of the gospel. Sometimes people want to argue with you. Look at the situation. You are a Christian, they are not. Just, Just let it go. Just let it go. Just that one act of letting it go might save someone in the process. Number four, you must be willing to die for the sake of the gospel. Our brothers and sisters on the other end understand this. They don't have the correct gospel, yet they are dying. They die for what they believe in. How many of us are willing to die for the gospel? Very important. Very important. The third thing is the value of your soul. The value of your soul. It's in verse 36. Verse 36, Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Do you know the value of your soul? What shall it profit a man if he loses, if he gains the whole world and loses his his soul? Four things out of that scripture also quickly. Number one, you must make sure that your soul is secured. In other words, you must make sure you are rapture ready. You are heaven ready. (laughs) For Jesus said, nobody will know when I'm coming. (laughs) If we all know when Jesus is coming, we'll go and sin and sin and see where he's coming. Oh, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Amen. We are clean. And then he comes and we all goes. He said, I'll come like a thief in the night. So don't believe anybody who who tells you Jesus is coming on this date? Nobody knows. Jesus himself said, I don't know. The only person who knows is the father. So be rapture ready. Be heaven ready. How many of you are scared when you are going home to your house? Are you scared? No. You're not. Do you know where our, our final home is? Heaven. And the only way you can go to heaven is by dying. Either we die or we'll meet Jesus here on earth. And so we should not be scared of death. Say amen to that. Because death was swallowed in victory 2,000 years ago. I'm not scared to die. I cannot die. No no devil can kill me. No witch can kill me. I cannot die. I have determined when to die and that is when I will die. Because the Bible says life and death are where in the power of the tongue. So I have the power to determine when I'm going. Not you. No devil. No witch sitting anywhere can kill you. Say amen to that. 
they can do everything, but they cannot kill you because the Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ is in you. Look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. Quickly, let me show you something. Christ is, is in you. You are hidden in Christ. So therefore no devil can kill you. The Bible says, set your affections on things above and not things on the earth. That's heavenly minded. Verse 3. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Verse 3. It says, for ye are dead and your life is hid where? In Christ. Your life is hid where? Is hid with Christ in God. Amen. Now, now, let me give you this analogy. Now, let's say this is this is you. The Bible says that for ye are what? Dead. And because you are dead, your life is where is hid with Christ. This is Christ. So this is you, this is Christ. So the Bible says that you are dead and because you are dead, you are where? You are hidden in Christ. And where is Christ? And let's say this is God. This is God. Where is Christ? In God. So who can you see when the devil comes? Who can the devil see? Can the devil see you? Can the devil attack you? Come on now, you have given the devil too much power. You are more powerful than the devil. The Bible says, you, you, you are hidden in Christ. And Christ is hidden in God. That's where you are. That's where you are seated now. No devil can bewitch you. Say a good amen to that. No witch can kill you. If they try, they will go before you. I said, that's why you need to sleep and, and, and those of you who go around, you know, these days we have all kinds of things. The blood of Jesus, holy, holy oil, blood of Jesus. You know, holy oil, blood of Jesus. It's red. Oil, red oil. They say it's the blood of Jesus. So you use it for this. You don't have understanding. You don't know who you are in Christ Jesus. If you know who you are, you see, we, now have you noticed, have you noticed when, when we say, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's thank God for what he has done for us. It's us saying, Father, thank you in the name of Jesus. Let's pray for uh, pastor. Father, thank you, Lord, for pastor. Your know, pastor is already blessed. We don't even have to pray for him. You know, in the name of Jesus, pastor is already anointed. Amen, amen. Now, we raise another prayer topic, third prayer topic. Let's bind the devil. Father, in the name of Jesus, hey, Holy Ghost, Holy, Holy, Father, Father, Holy Ghost, fire. No, 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 you, you see, you see, your prayer life even has no knowledge. You don't even know who you are. You don't even know where the devil is. The devil was already defeated 2,000 years ago before you showed up. So when it comes to the devil, you see people doing gymnastics in the name of Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. 
There are many things when we come before God, the devil will be there. The devil will say, God, you know I was not there. This person blamed me for this. God, you know I was not responsible for that. So we need to understand these things. Let's go back to Mark chapter 8, verse 36. It says, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We're talking about the value of the soul. Your soul is very valuable. Your soul is very important. You see, the way you take care of your soul tells me whether you know if your soul is valuable or not. Many of us take care of our bodies. We don't take care of our spirit. We feed our soul. We go to university. We pride ourselves in the degrees we have earned. We, we, we frame them. We let everybody know I, I, I have a PhD in this. Now that's all good, praise God. We feed our body. We take care of our body. Some of us, the ladies, we buy very expensive anti-wrinkle anti creams. Extremely expensive. Now these are all good because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. So it's good. <laughs> Still use the anti-wrinkle cream, praise God. So I'm not preaching against that. It's all good. But now, now Paul said, don't just take care of the adorning of your, of your body, the outside. Take care of your spirit also. Now, if you feed your body three times a day and the body grows, that means you must feed the spirit also minimum three times a day. How do we feed the spirit? Reading the Bible. Praying every day, fasting, reading Christian books. That's how we feed the spirit. Amen. That's how we feed the spirit. So if you only feed the body, feed the body, feed the body, feed the soul, your spirit will be marginalized. And even when your spirit is talking to you, you can't hear him. He's screaming, help. I'm nourished, help. You can't hear because the body, your body and your soul has marginalized your spirit. That's why there are a lot of many carnal Christians these days. We can't even hear the voice of God. We don't even know what the voice of God is like. We live our life based on lack. We want to make a decision. We, we, we start doing, we start saying, uh, Shall I or shall I not? Shall I or shall I not? Shall I or shall I not? Is he the one? Is he not the one? Is he the one I want to marry? Is she the one? Is she the one? Is she fair? Is she dark? Is she tall? Is she short? Lack. You don't know the voice of God. Number two. Remember number one is what you must make sure your soul is what secured. Number two is don't chase the things of this world. Remember Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 is a set your mind on what? Set your affection on things above. Set your affection on things above. In other words, don't chase the things of the world. Number three, there is no salvation in the world. The world cannot save you. I said the world cannot save you. Number four, the salvation of your soul is more important than gaining the whole world. That's why Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? Your soul is important. The fourth thing we want to look at is kingdom sacrifice. Kingdom sacrifice is in verse 37 of Mark chapter 8. Jesus said, 
Or what shall a man give in exchange of his soul? What shall Mark chapter 8, please? Mark chapter 8, verse 37. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Four things also out of that scripture, quickly. What are you willing to sacrifice for the salvation of your soul? That's number one. Do you know that many Christians don't come to church when it's raining? Many Christians don't come to church when it's snowing? What are you willing to sacrifice? Many Christians don't come to church on a weekday because of a TV broadcast, a TV program. They are watching their favorite soap, bold and beautiful. Is he still showing that thing? Bold and beautiful. Bold and beautiful was here before you were born, and it will be here after you are born. <laughs> uh, number two, what are you willing to sacrifice for the salvation of your family? Some of us don't care where our families are going. I remember when I gave my life to Christ, one, one day I went to like a heaven house. And I was crying for the salvation of my father. My father was not saved. I, I, I was praying and crying and weeping. To God be all the glory before he died, he gave his life to Christ. Think about your family. You see, I've always said that some of us, when we get to heaven, heaven will not be nice for us. Why? Because we'll see our brothers, sisters, family members in hell. Yeah, the rich man and Lazarus, remember? They could see each other in hell and heaven. So if you see your family member in, in hell and you are in heaven, do you think you will enjoy? No. no, you will not enjoy. So the time is now for us to do everything, pray for their salvation. Talk to them about Jesus. They might not like it, but it's our responsibility. To do that on a daily basis until the time where they come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Number four, what are you willing to sacrifice for the salvation of your friends? Some of us have best friends. And some of us, our best friends are unbelievers. They are not believers, they are unbelievers. And we don't tell them about Jesus Christ. We don't invite them to church. They don't even know that we are born again. Number four, what are you willing to sacrifice for the salvation of this country? Of this country? Of United Kingdom? Of Europe? Of America? What are you willing to sacrifice for the salvation of Africa? What are you willing to sacrifice for the salvation of the world? The fifth one. It's consequences of being ashamed of the gospel. Look at that is in verse 38 of Mark chapter 8. Jesus said, whosoever, underline that word whosoever, therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Can we see that? Are we in an adulterous and sinful generation? Yes. In this adulterous and sinful generation, and of him also shall the son of man be ashamed when he cometh into glory of his father with his holy angels. 
Four things out of that also quickly. Number one, if you are ashamed of Jesus, he will be ashamed of you. If you are ashamed of Jesus, he will be what? Ashamed of you. Number two, stand for the gospel in every circumstances that you find yourself in. Stand for your faith. Let people know about your faith. Number three, when you are ashamed of the gospel, you will not reap the benefits of the gospel. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. It's time for us to publicly display our affection for Jesus. Amen? amen. I said amen. amen. It's time for us to publicly display our affection for Jesus and not be ashamed. Number four is if you are ashamed of the gospel, you will not have any rewards or crowns in heaven. If you are ashamed of the gospel, you will not have any rewards or any crowns in heaven. Listen, dearly beloved, the time has come for us to contend for the gospel. That's why our foundational text in Jude 1 and 3, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men, verse 4, that have crept in unawares who are before old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that these days there are all kinds of churches out there. They say they are church, but they don't believe in Jesus Christ. They say they are having church, but they don't believe in God. There are all kinds of things out there. There are those who say we are the propagators of the gospel of grace. So grace means there's no place for sin. You are not a sinner. All the sins you committed yesterday were forgiven. That's true. All the sins you commit today are forgiven. That's true. All the sins you, you commit tomorrow are forgiven. That's true. But it does not give you the guarantee or the right to sin tomorrow. Are you following what I'm saying? So it's important for us to understand that it's time for us to contend for the gospel. Finally, as we close, today is our destroying generational curses service. The Bible says in the book of Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, the Bible says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, curse is everyone that hung on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The Bible also says in the book of Nahum, Nahum chapter 1 verse 9, it says affliction shall not rise up the second time. Now let me say this, this is very important. Generational curses can be avoided. Generational curses can be what? Avoided. You have to look at the trend in your family and make choices in line with scripture to counteract it. Now for instance, if in your family there is a generational case of, of drunkards, right? And you are a believer. It doesn't 
exclude you or you are not immune from becoming a drunkard. What it simply means is that now you have to make choices. After those cases are destroyed, you have to make choices. When you see a place where there are people who drink, don't go near them. That's a choice you make. Are you following what I'm saying? That's a choice you make. If you see in your family, now this is sensitive, but I need to say this. If you see in your family, there is divorce, divorce, divorce. It's, it's a sign that there is a generational curse there. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, when you are now in Christ Jesus, and as much as Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, you also have to now make choices. You have to now make choices. See the trend and don't go on the same path. Other than that, it will pass on from you to your children. I'll give you an example. When, before I was going to get married, I knew that in my family there was a generational case of my father obviously married four wives plus many who come and go. There were many concubines. We don't know their number. They come and go. Are you following me? So when I was going to get married, I knew that this was a curse in the family that needed to be dealt with. So I made a decision that to deal with this generational curse, my wife and I, we are not going to defile the marriage bed. Follow me, this is important. We're not going to defile the marriage bed because the Bible says that a bed undefiled is holy. That is where the blessing of the Lord is. So if I'm going to work in generational blessing, I have to make choices. They are difficult choices. They were difficult. The first day my wife and I, when we were cutting, we had, I felt electrocuted. I felt electricity. So from there I said, sister, sister Zama, no more hugging. From today, bye-bye, handshake. I'll see you later. You have to understand and put and make choices and put because if I was hugging the sister, the things I was feeling by that time I would have messed up. It was difficult. Now she was a very huggy person, a very nice holy sister, but she didn't know what was chasing me. I knew what was chasing me, so I had to put boundaries in place. When she visits me, I make sure the door is open. Because when you love someone, there are chemical reactions going through you. Are you following me? We make sure we put people around us as boundaries to help us. To help us. There's some of the things I can say now. Maybe I can tell you some other time. You know, our bishop was counseling me. He said, you know, when you feel tension, just go, go and scold water. Go and shower. <laughs> shower. Shower. <laughs> you know, pour cold water. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. So, as for that temptation, it's there. You feel it naturally. So, you have to make choices against those things. You have to make choices not to go in that same direction, but to go in the next, next direction. So, I decided we're not going to do that, and I was going to get married properly. Properly. So, to God be all the glory, I was the first in the family to get married properly and to be married to one woman. 
to God be all the glory. And after that generational curse was broken, I saw my nieces, my nephews now have the ability now to get married properly. My brothers, everybody married two, three, two, some bit, my father's record, you know. Are you following what I'm saying? So we have to understand how generational cases operate. We have to understand how they operate and now make choices in line with scriptures to deal with them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Did you receive it today? Thank you so much for taking time to listen to The Solution Word by Pastor Adama Segbeji. For prayer or further details, please call us on 01293-885000. Or why not visit us this Sunday at 10 a.m. at Solution, Barnfield Road, Northgate, Crawley, RH10, 8HQ. Your experience at Solution is sure to be a time of great blessing. Solution, bringing hope to the hopeless and solution to the nations.